This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. Element's brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. We are rolling, and I'm here with Siri Bahadur. How's it going today this morning? Going very well, thanks. How about you, Matt? Doing good. Thanks so much for taking the time. A um, little bit of background is I, I took um, two seasons of Kundalini Yoga teacher training with you probably about 
eight, ten years ago now. Um, and mm-hmm. it was a, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And uh, I would love to share the story of how you came to this form of yoga. And I've got a number of questions as well to, to run by you. So um, uh, I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, thank you. Yeah, me too. So to kick it off, I was curious if you would kind of take me back to, you know, when, when and how did you discover Kundalini Yoga? Um, well, I guess my first experience with it was in <clears throat> 1973 or 74 in Dallas. I was living in Dallas and... Um, just, you know, like being a, a hippie back in those days. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just I, I just found myself uh, noticing I was in a rut uh, just in um, what, what I was thinking, uh, relationships, relationships. Uh, getting high, all of that stuff. It just seemed like same thing over and over again. And uh, very predictable and, and unsatisfying, really. And so um, at the time, I was, I was going to um, Dallas Community College in downtown Dallas. And uh, this guy that uh, from the local yoga studio came in one day talking about um, yoga and vegetarian lifestyle and all of that just talked for an hour or so and then just invited people to come out to the studio mm-hmm. it was an ashram then now there were people living there and and classes going on and i did and um i just took to it uh, right away it, it didn't take any convincing for me to come back and um you know, it's it's a practice that I continued since then, and you know, in at the beginning, you know, I would go to yoga and then um, come home, get high, go to yoga, you know, a couple or three times a week, <clears throat> and um, and at some point, I think it was um, 1976, I just decided, okay, um, I I know I'm getting something out of this. You know, I, I can see a difference in uh, my mindset, my, you know, reaction times and everything. I was, I was, you know, into, into sports and whatnot. And so I said, well, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and move into the community and do yoga full time and, uh, you know, not smoke anymore, not drink anymore, not do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I haven't looked back since then. Um, I've made some changes, but, um, you know, it was, uh, for me, it was the decision to make and, um, it, it helped me further along my path. And what I love about it is it got, it allowed me to, uh, tune my body with the mind, uh, you know, find a space of equilibrium, Mm -hmm. but also, um, find uh, some meaning and access to 
the uh, the awareness that that exists beyond the body and beyond the mind. It you know the practice just led me to go okay. There there's something more than the everyday mundane stuff that you know I'd been so uh, immersed in um, enchanted with. Let's say yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that awareness you know continues to blossom. It continues to expand. Wonderful. Long story short. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely get into some deeper questions here. You were a hippie, you were getting high, and then this form of yoga, was I almost able to replace whatever effect you were getting from, you know, the, the cannabis, I assume, is what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? Because, you know, I also have smoked cannabis for a long time and I also do this yoga and it's interesting how I'm finding a similar thing. I'm coming to it much slower than I think you did. Uh, cause you know, I've been, you know, uh, taking Kundalini yoga and, and teaching it a bit for about a decade now. And it's been harder to let go of cannabis, although I am currently not smoking it, but, um, yeah. Would you talk about how, like what the cannabis was doing for you? And how you were able to replace it with Kundalini Yoga, and maybe ha and how Kundalini Yoga was, um, yeah, find finding it, its its place as a replacement. Right. Um, well, yeah, the uh, the yoga and the, and the and the cannabis uh, basically um, provide uh, a relief from stress. Mm -hmm. I think one of the one of the main reasons why I just made the switch to the yoga from the cannabis is that um, for all intents and purposes, it didn't cost me the same as <laughs> as uh, cannabis. Sure. <clears throat> and um, and then I, I, I also got with with pranayam, I got an appreciation of like clear lungs and um and being able to facilitate um that that flow of life energy coming in and and byproducts moving out you know it's the prana and pana um relationship yeah but um yeah you know it's like the side effects of the cannabis as far as um you know, for me, it helped me release some inhibitions, but it but it also it also confined my focus somewhat too. You know, um, and and of course, like the the eating cravings after smoking weren't there with yoga, and right. um, and I think relationships got. Uh, got deeper and more more fulfilling and more like immediate and in in context you know what was going on it kind of allowed me uh, to listen better and express myself differently rather than oh man this is really cool hey eh? <laughs> you know I mean, it, was like, it was you know just uh and not that there's anything wrong with that, you know. I mean, it's all all expression is good, but yeah, um, yeah it 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 gave me uh, a a broader 
broader horizons and a more varied palette to work with in terms of uh, what I'm aware of and and what I was able to to communicate and and listen mm-hmm. listen to as well. So right. um, yeah, it was. I I didn't I didn't take to to teaching that much right away, although I did some. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, after getting into like more of the nitty gritty with um, with opening up for energy and information to come in that was available, you know, w- with the practice that yeah. it, it kind of blow it kind of for me, it kind of blew uh, the recreational substances out the window. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this story time and time again, as uh, I'm probably not the only student of yours that has come to this path um, because of having, you know, a mind expanding experience with psychedelics, whether it is cannabis or something like LSD or magic mushrooms. Um, You know, what I was shown with those um, plant medicines were like, yeah, a new sense of purpose, a new sense of depth of a spiritual nature. And more or less, it was like, you come to this decision of, well, I either have to keep doing this or I have to find another way to access um, the same dimensions or the same feeling of peace or the same feeling of purpose. And um, yeah, when I would look for ways to maintain like a heightened level of consciousness, this form of yoga kept popping up over and over and over again as like, damn, this yoga works. And Mm -hmm. that was what made me initially interested to take a few classes. And I found a similar thing, you know, Um, I'd, I'd say it doesn't get as trippy in a way, but it certainly clears the mental blocks and allows us you know, to access expanded states of consciousness. Um, Mm -hmm. For yourself, was there any inkling of spirituality blossoming before you were introduced to this yoga, or was it the yoga that brought you to a quote-unquote spiritual path? Uh, That's a good question. And um, I have been, been on that seeker path for a long time, you know, it's like um, uh, I, I was raised pretty, uh, I was raised Catholic and just went the whole thing, was an altar boy, high school, went to uh, 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 a prep seminary and, you know, just looking, looking for uh, what that um, direction had to offer and um then kind of uh, the runway was too short. There wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't enough there. Not enough questions being answered. And yeah. so, you know, I, I took to other things, investigating. You know, um, uh, more um, mystical uh, Christianity with um, Edgar Casey and um, you know. Uh, Gosh, I even forget all the names now. Uh, mm-hmm. Red Krishnamurti, and yeah. uh, actually stumbled on books by Baird T. Spalding, Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. And I think that was that was a critical turning point that 
that I could move be beyond institutionalized uh, ideologies and just go, okay, what are these guys talking about? Yeah. And that was way before I was introduced to yoga. Um, and I guess maybe right around the time I started investigating cannabis and, um, you know, I've just done a little bit of acid, a little psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I found, I found those to be like effective in a way, but also, you know, it's like what, what, what I relate to now is making the jump like really fast and, and losing traction as you make that jump, you know, it's kind of a, like a leap of faith, but, um, you know, being, being a grounded Taurus, I kind of like to have traction as I'm moving through just, you know, yeah. to, um, not lose, um, my, my, my anchor to the earth or my individuality. And, um, and I had a friend that followed LSD religiously as, as a discipline, you know, and the last few times I talked to him, he was saying, yeah, you know, he, he did uh, uh, establish contact with divine, you know, and, and divine says, yeah, really cool. Welcome. Um, but um, you, you're you going to have to come back when you can do it on your own. Yeah. And I took that message uh, to heart. Right. And, and that's, you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, it's like, yeah, you can get to a certain point, but can you stay there? And, and even, even within the yoga, you know, you may reach a point and then you settle back down and then you try to jump a little higher. And it's always kind of like a sine wave kind of experience. But, uh, you know, you, with, with a discipline and an understanding of, like the truth of existence and how things work, you know, it's possible to do that. The, the plant medicines, you know, I, 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 uh, I haven't, I haven't done, uh, you know, ayahuasca or anything. My psilocybin experience was a long time ago and, and really not guided, but, you know, I know that it offers, you know, access and, and inspiration to keep on doing the work, whether it's work with the, with the medicines or it's work without them. Right. Yeah. Well said, I agree. And again, it is, yeah, it's interesting how those medicines, you know, which I have explored, um, a number of them, the, the main ones, you know, like ayahuasca and psilocybin, these types of things, they offer a temporary, experience um but unless you begin something to for a daily practice a sadhana you know it kind of fades away after maybe a month maybe six weeks if you're lucky it's kind of like you're even struggling to remember what that state was like and what you what insights that you got through that state mm -hmm. so you know yoga is something that you can do uh daily before work and still go to work and have a productive day you can't just do ayahuasca in the morning and then go to work right you know <laughs> it's not gonna happen so it's a little more realistic of a practice i think for these you know people that are interested in, in the spiritual path and elevating their consciousness to take on um i was i wanted to ask you how long of a sadhana do you think 
shows results because I think, for example, if you sit down and do two minutes of Kundalini yoga, you might not really reach, you know, um, a heightened state of consciousness. Um, but for yourself, like how long do you think it takes of a, of a practice daily to start to reap some of that benefit? Uh, yeah, good question. You know, I, I guess depending on the time you have, you know, it's like f for years, you know, the idea was, okay, uh, two and a half hours and then maybe, maybe an hour, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and I've done things for, for an hour. Most, most of the sadness I do would be like 30 or 40 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so it, it kind of depends wh what you're doing in the practice, you know, something, uh, more powerful, uh, that has more dramatic and and deeper effects, you know, you can do for a lesser time. You know, you could do like Sat Kriya for 11 minutes or, or mm -hmm. Siddharshan meditation for 11 minutes. Although, you know, experience kind of shows that uh, in doing a meditation, you know, if, if the parameters allow you to go to 31 minutes, well, that's about the you know, somewhere between 22 and 31 minutes is the time is the, the, um, the, the half-life of the mind, you know, it's like, it takes a while for the mind to let go and stop saying, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? Right. And then around 22 minutes or so it stops because, you know, it gets tired of asking the same questions over and over <laughs> again. But, um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I dabble between, 20, 30 minutes or an hour. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, yeah. And, um, and, and that idea of, of working with the mind, it's like with, from my, my, uh, conversations with people that, that have done or are doing medicine, plant medicines and, uh, and other, other uh, catalysts like that, you know, that you come to the point where you have to release, you have to surrender, mm -hmm. and and if if it's parallel with meditation, it's like yeah, at some point you surrender the mind, and mm -hmm. the mind is the is is the net that that keeps us in a in a certain mindset and keeps us in a certain operating. Uh, procedure as it were and you know y your comment that uh you can't just do ayahuasca in the morning and then go to go to work in the afternoon <laughs> and and the other and and what came to me as you said that is that the system within which we're living keeps us trapped within the mind and trapped within judgment and trapped within uh under this mantle of control mm -hmm. and ayahuasca has has that ability to say uh, you can hold on to your control if you want to but you're going to get sick yeah, yeah. <laughs> right or something you know and it's the same thing uh with yoga and meditation drop the control and and allow uh reality to gradually set in because uh while we like to think we're living in reality in our everyday lives it, it's it's pretty much enchantment yeah right yeah. and yeah. so yeah and maya right illusion 
Yeah. There's this illusion of separateness that, you know, we are not each other. And there's this saying in, in Kundalini Yoga that is, if you don't see God in all, you don't see God at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, you know, and, and it doesn't just mean people. I think that mm-hmm. even means like the trees, the plants, you yeah. know, like everything in my mind is this emanation of God, which, you know, one mantra that we use, ikunkar, means the creator and the creation are one. That doesn't mean like we're down on some plane that's not God and God's up there and we have to get to him. It means it's all God. Correct. Um, yeah, and, and learning that has been transformative because, you know, when you're in a psychedelic state, you get to see this, like, you, you enter this state of awe, of reality. Everything's just beautiful and moving and sparkling and wondrous. And it actually can be that way without the psychedelics. You just have to merge your state of consciousness with that ikonkar, you know, consciousness, mm-hmm. which... Um, mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do, and as I'm hearing, it takes 20, 30 minutes at least to start entering that state. Of course, if you're going to go an hour and two hours, I think it's going to be more dramatic. And uh, I feel like I recall something from the teacher training, which was, it's kind of like the practice that you put in has like a 10x amount of time as as to how long it's going to impact you. So, for example, if you do two hours, that's going to equal 20 hours. Not that this is an exact science, but it's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's a, good, it's a good guideline, a good metaphor to think about how, how much, you know, elevated consciousness you're going to get out of something. So if you do 10 minutes, that might be a hundred minutes of, you know, elevated consciousness. If you do an hour, that might be 10 hours. If you do two hours, that might be 20 hours or a full day. So, you know, maybe that's a decent guideline to follow is, you know, the more you put in, the more you're going to get out as with most, most things in life. Um, but I was found that to be, you know, more or less accurate. Like I remember we did a two hour sadhana as part of our training. And for that whole day, I was in this state of awestruckness and merging with what seems to be a yeah an elevated state a uh, an awareness of the mystical of the divine in everyday mm-hmm. mundane reality and it's it, it can be accessed you know what would mm-hmm. you say about that yeah i you know i am i'm paying attention to To time and and its impact and and anymore its elasticity, you know I f- I forget what I was doing, um, but sometimes I'm re- I'm reminded about well you know just like like driving, mm-hmm. driving you are you're really hyper aware of time and space, yeah, doing something else. Uh, Maybe, maybe not so much, or, or like your days off, you know, that, yeah. that time can move pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's because we're, we're getting out of uh, being chained to time. It's like, yeah, if you're putting in an eight-hour day, flipping burgers or, or mm-hmm. inputting data or, or whatever it is, you know, that's, 
you're operating with within strict time, but in uh, in the uh, planetary evolution that we're experiencing now, you know, if we're already uh, at December nineteenth, and it seemed like December started a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's you know, true. so overall, we're we're realizing that that uh, we create time as as um, a species of consciousness. You know, animals they're in the now all the time. Right. They can they can stretch it out. They they know if if you got upset at them ten minutes ago, but it doesn't last much longer than that. And yeah. so the the idea of we'll have to meditate. 20 you know two and a half hours a day and it, it takes me a, a thousand days to master a, a practice <clears throat> i'm starting to think that that that's pretty much piscean way of looking you know like before two, the turn of 2000 or 1984 yeah. whatever you want to pick as a date and now it's like um we're jumping into another dimension really yeah. and uh it sounds crazy to say that and people are going to go yeah that that guy's acid days are coming back to haunt him <laughs> but um but you know when, when you look at 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 life and how we're thinking and realizing that when you're dealing with with someone a thought comes to you and you go is that my thought and they react a certain way and do they just pick up on what I was thinking about, you know, it, it, we're, we're in this, in this paradigm of expansion. And so, um, you know, I'm looking at, Hey, you come to an hour class and depending on, uh, what, what box you open up to investigate while you're there, whether it's investigating parts of the mind or your breath or reaching out to, to life, you know, anymore I'm getting where uh, in terminology, life equals God equals divine equals source. Mm -hmm. But to me, life describes the uh, a fullness in being alive, a full spectrum of, of awareness. Um, and as we look to investigate life and as we look to create a conversation with life, um, some of those time compartmentalizations just kind of blur and disappear mm -hmm. you know as um it took me a long time to to um i don't know if i ever did figure out f for a long time you know what if you don't see god now you don't see god at all you know i'm mm -hmm. going oh okay what's the key and there were a lot of a lot of um sayings and and teachings that you go yeah someday i'm going to understand that Mm -hmm. But um, but now we're coming to the, to a point where we're developing a language to be able to communicate to one another that which uh, exists beyond words, mm -hmm. and just use a little different terminology that will um, kind of lure us out of um, linear thinking and judgmentalism to say, okay, what do you know? You know, if you ask me, like, Siri Bahadur, what do you know? Uh, my most honest answer is going to be, I don't know anything. <laughs> right? Because, mm -hmm. like, we, we, we know just a little bit of stuff, 
compared mm-hmm. to everything that you can know. And, and so what becomes more important is, is that the statement, I don't know what I don't know. And yeah. what I don't know is probably 99% uh, couched around that 1% that I think I know. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you got to put some time in every day. I, yeah. I kind of look at it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, something, e- even if it's, you know, a minute, three minutes, five minutes, 11 minutes, whatever it is, you know, every day you, you do something to re, uh, I, I do something to remind me, okay, there, there is a, there's a truth of existence and like, uh, God ex- exists or life exists within that space between my hands, whether I can see it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my friend that saw God and had to start, you know, on his own, on his own um, practice, you know, yeah. would see the, the, the glittering points of light between him and, and what would be a solid object, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's come to me that divine is in every subatomic particle of existence uh, as universal mind on a, on a fractal level, right? Yeah. So um, that's, that's where the wonder starts to come in and you just go, I don't even know where I am. You know, I thought I knew where I am, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and the metaphor comes to mind you know, a man asking what is God or where is God is like a fish asking what is this water everyone keeps talking about. You know, they don't know they're in water. That's just where they live. And in that way, we don't know that we're in God. That's just where we live, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's tough to keep that at the forefront of our mind, but these practices certainly give us glimpses back into that because, yeah, society and a job and, you know, trying to make money so that we can afford to live in these houses and whatever. It it all is kind of distracting you from that, but you know, it's an equal part of the path and it's all about balance. You know, I love the Buddhist idea of, you know, it's, it's, it's not one extreme or the other, but the middle way, you know, balance between both extremes is where you can kind of find happiness. I know you're a guitarist. It's similar with the guitar string if it's too loose it doesn't make any music if it's too tight it breaks but right in the middle is where the music plays you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i love that yeah and and yeah and that's that's the key to yoga mm-hmm. yoga is keeping keeping the center point and and balance around it so yeah, yeah absolutely well one of my favorite techniques which i didn't think it would be when I started yoga. When I think of yoga, I often think of the asanas or the kriyas, you know, the postures that we do. But quickly, one of the most powerful forms of practice coming from this lineage of yoga has been mantra. Um, Mm. I'm curious if you would speak to mantra, you know, what it is, how it's working on us, and maybe what the experience you've had with it is. Yeah. Oh, good. Good question. Thank you. That's like a favorite. That's a fallback topic, you know. And um, so in in looking at, let's say, major truths of existence, it's like life is particles of light vibrating, magnetically aligned. Everything 
are particles of light vibrating and then they're aligned magnetically and uh, that magnetic alignment of, of light is affected by brain waves it's affected by thought or by mind mm. now uh, yogis and, and people that you know meditators you know will discover that source or or life is universal mind uh so in in you know just common terminology god is this universal mind and holds everything in perfect balance <clears throat> now the the awestruck feature of that is that each point of consciousness generates an awareness that holds its environment in a form and so each human being has the creative ability by using the mind given by divine light that uh, can control uh, its environment and that environment could be like really small or it, it could be pretty vast mm -hmm. and so uh, the idea is uh, that magnetic alignment of light particles influenced by thought means that whatever we think and whatever we believe whatever we hold as sacred in our consciousness whether it's you know good sacred or bad say it doesn't matter uh, is is what form that uh, environment takes and supports so <clears throat> I recognize that, yeah, all the light fibers of my body are, are uh, create atoms. Atoms create elements. Elements create cells. Cells create systems. And then you put systems together, and you have a unified structure, as it were, uh, you know, seen from from the outside in. And um, and so, consequently. Uh, for me to control my creative prerogative in in a way that sustains me and supports me, I have to be careful what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, you know, I, I've been playing music a good part of my life, and and I realized that the songs I would sing, the music I would play, eventually would manifest in scenarios of my life. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, uh, that adage of, you know, if, uh, if you want to sing the blues, you got to pay your dues because you're going to experience that which you sing about because singing is thinking with emotion behind it. And so uh, the yogis discovered mantra in that you could, you can find uh, a sacred sound that will elevate frequency above baseline rate. <clears throat> So you could have like a uh, hundred uh, minus one hundred frequency, and then you get you know, say you got zero is is status quo, and then once you get above that, uh, you know just coming from elevated thoughts, and then um, uh, eventually thoughts emerge into sound, into words, into communication, and so mantra is designed to. Um, to provide a frequency into which your physical manifestation can emerge and, and operate. 
So, um, yeah, somebody showed me something of, I forget the guy's name now, as, as a, a scientist, maybe even a metaphysical-oriented scientist that, that graded the frequency of different activities and different mantras and, you know, it said, okay, well, enlightened is a thousand. And then mm-hmm. from there, you know, he, he would gradate them down. And, and you know, so like Mul Mantra, Gayatri Mantra, you know, all really high vibratory frequencies. The more you intone them, it's, it's like um, it vibrates the body. Now you can, you can express mantra totally outward and mm-hmm. it, and it, you, my idea is that it'll it'll uh, raise the vibration of the particles all around you. Let's say within your auric field or radiant field, mm-hmm. or you can also um, backflow that sound into the body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, Willie Nelson. You know, you, he, he's got a, he's got a voice that vibrates him from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do, right? And so, to me, mantra is um, is best experienced vibrating it from the inside. And that also, you know, sometimes we think about the electromagnetic field starts at my skin and it goes outward. Mm-hmm. But I think the skin and all the tissue are embedded within the electromagnetic field. It's an expression of that field. And... And so as you vibrate within uh, the, the cells of the body and the particles of, of the light of the cells of the body uh, vibrate as well as the auric field and the, and the more expansive radiant field. So, um, yeah, um, I'm a, a believer in mantra and, you know, use it every day. Mm-hmm. So question or clarification, when you're saying vibe you know, like use it internally. Are you saying with your mind chant the mantra or do you mean you're kind of trying to be more resonant in the, like the chest and the diaphragm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Resonant within the, the cellular structure, you know, it's like, um, yeah. When I'm chanting, if I'm chanting Jebji, you know, um, sometimes I'll, I'll do it more mentally maybe a little bit of whisper depending on where i am but um best case scenario um i'm in a space where i don't have to worry about disturbing anybody and then i can vibrate it and i can i can feel my chest vibrate you know like when you're talking now put your hand on your chest your chest is vibrating you put your hand on your belly it's vibrating not as much as the chest right but you can direct that sound anywhere you want you can direct the sound into your sit bones and and feel the floor underneath your sit bones vibrating and so part of it is is physical vibration assisted by projection and then um also adjusted by by volume Mm, so yeah 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 so yeah so yeah i love that and yeah it takes me back what you're saying to uh some of the vocal lessons that i had as a teenager which you know how i came into singing i would he would kind of tell me hey man you're singing from like here out like i'm pointing to my the top of my throat He's saying you need to be singing from here in your chest or even lower in your diaphragm. 
because that's where you get the power, you know? Um, if you're singing from so much up here, your throat's going to get so tired so quick and you're not going to have any longevity or, you know, uh, stamina with how long you can sing. Um, your throat's going to get hoarse in 15 minutes of constant singing at, you know, at, at a decent uh, volume. Whereas if you bring that energy up from below, you don't get tired nearly as quickly. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's a cool thing to think about. And I'm going to pay attention to that next time I, I sit down and do some mantra. Um, so I love that advice. And uh, I wanted to talk too, which I think this is very similar, which is the concept of nod, which mm -hmm. I believe is kind of like a sacred sound current. Is that right? Yes. Um, and yeah. like instruments like the gong are able to put us into these blissed out states. And, and maybe it's because it's emanating some sacred frequency um, maybe is what we call mm. the nod. What, what would you say about like what the gong is able to do and, and what this sacred sound frequency is that, um, that this lineage of yoga tends to use? Well, yeah, the gong is that, you know, that, that's a big subject in itself in that uh, I've heard somewhat recently this describe gongs as, as like a portal into, you know, like cosmic consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and the idea is that, uh, you know, you get this certain configuration of, of metals uh, in a, in a certain shape and uh, tuned in, in a certain way where like you have a, a, a 32, 34, 36, 38 inch piece of metal formed at, within the right thickness and the right shape. You know, you can touch it uh, with a mallet and it'll start vibrating. <clears throat> and, and that in itself is is pretty cool uh, to listen to and to feel. But then with gong, you get to overlay. Uh, okay, so you you invite sound out, maybe in the same space, maybe in a different space, maybe with the same velocity or lighter and and different rhythms, and you've got this overlay of sound that's that's vibrating the air, and. Um, vibrating those light particles in a language that uh you know it's like tibetan monks mm -hmm. can duplicate you know and you hear them chanting and it's like yeah. so much uh expansive of, of sound beyond what the normal voice and normal language will communicate comes out and and so mantra is is the um, expansion of the human voice to to go beyond the normal limits of you know just letting air flow through through the the vocal cords and become uh, modulated by the tongue and the shape of the mouth cavern and the lips and all of that. But the the gong is. Uh, Cape it well, you know, it's, it's interesting that the gong and mantra uh, operate in the same mode, is that uh, they're just 
the the main effect is to allow the mind to become still or closer and closer to stillness Mm -hmm. and uh the gong will force that to happen you know Mm -hmm. i don't i haven't met anybody yet that can be in a gong session of of any significant length and just stay uh linear and 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 conscious in in the normal way And and mantras the the same thing. Just like we were saying, you you chant a mantra uh, for twenty two plus minutes, and the mind will just go, uh, "Okay, um, I'll come back when you're done with this." <laughs> you know, and 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 the body as well. The body is sending signals. You know, and and it's like the almost unreadable signals that the body picks up from the gong and from the continuous flow of sacred sound gives you that experience of primal sound Mm -hmm. Uh, nod is like the primal sound and it's the the sound of universal mind flowing through the light particles of creation Mm -hmm. and and we get to um mediate that we get to overlay it, you know, with our own intentions, with our own limited me- mental capabilities, which are more vast than we realize. But still, you know, we operate when we're operating linearly and uh, you, uh, within the use of judgment, you know, our, our influence, cons- you know, constricts. And so both mantra uh, engaging in nod and the gong in the same way uh, expand the possibilities and and to be able to tune out of the mental frequencies and into the awareness frequencies. It's like lately, you know, forever we've heard like Kundalini Yoga, the yoga of awareness. Well, what the hell is that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but you know, the more we we delve into awareness beyond the mind. Then and and like I mentioned earlier, getting into those those postures like archer pose, you get into Kundalini archer pose and hold it. If you if you're thinking about holding it for eleven minutes or more, you're going to have to get outside your body. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to put put the nervous system on in neutral, and and the structural system into uh, a sustainable alignment where it can hold relaxed. You know, in in asana, we're always applying effort to either achieve or stay in a posture. Mm -hmm. But um, Sahaj yoga, that effortless yoga, is finding a way to stay in that posture without the effort or with 1% or 5 or 10% of the effort that most of us are applying. Right. So, so, um, yeah, I like your nod question. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, I have two things that came up. And the first was an experience I have, uh, I've had, but, you know, I probably have um, during most gong ceremonies or whatever we want to call it, um, which is, you know, usually the gong starts off slow and it's just kind of slowly building momentum. But at the end, you know, usually the gong player starts crashing it. It's like, you know, it's like getting Mm. really heavy, really loud. Um, During one of my first experiences of that, I was getting like this fountaining of light flowing through what seemed to be my body, you know, and into my head. And 
my eyes were closed, of course, and you know, I'm getting these flashes of just like light. Um, that to me feels like maybe what Kundalini energy is. You know, they, they say Kundalini is this energy that rises up the spine and into the, the higher centers, you know, the higher chakras. Um, that was very powerful. And I'm curious, do you have a similar experience? Like when the gong is really going that you kind of almost get this internal, these internal visuals or anything? Mm. Well, you know, that has been a source of concern for me for forever since I've been practicing because I don't get visuals. I don't oh, get okay. visuals at all. Okay. And, um, and for a while I was thinking, well, what's wrong with me? You know, and mm. then I go, nothing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, because because then uh, it becomes refined. You know, it's like people that don't see hear really, mm -hmm. you know, have a fine sense of hearing or a spatial uh, orientation and awareness. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, to to it's it's funny, like you say that, and the Kundalini yogis are the ones that thrive on that intense sound of the gong mm -hmm. and not saying that anyone yoga is better or or not as good as another but um more more gentle uh types of yoga will will uh find that intense sound uh disorienting or or actually um too much stimulation yeah and so um i I find myself you, check, checking out heard, before I get there. Hmm? Okay. Have you heard of the other students say similar things to that though? They were like during oh, the gong, yeah. like I just was like something yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 A lot. <laughs> you know, and 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 for and and those same people were the ones the first time time they heard the gong say, This is not for me. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's like one time Metab and I w and Guru Karam went to uh, Great Britain and did a gong mela. You know, mm. we were there for a week and, you know, guys from Europe and Great Britain uh, brought all these gongs together. There were all the planetary gongs, all these chow gongs. There was a 60-inch symphonic gong and then all these other gongs there. And we, we just were in bliss for a week. And um, but, you know, there was there was one lady that was that was more subtle in nature. And, um, you know, somebody was started to whack on her gong, you know, to, you know, Kundalini style, uh, if, for lack of yeah. a better terminology. She was going, no, no, don't you be playing my gong like that. You know, <laughs> it was like very agitating. Uh, sure. you know, to, to her sensibilities. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard it both ways and, and yeah, we know people that play like that all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and people, people love it, yeah. but, uh, but a lot of people also will, will, um, take to maybe a more gradual intensity and maybe not so drastic, Right. Uh, of the volume and, and the crashing aspect and still get some good results. So yeah. I tend to, I tend to draw back in, in the intensity of, of my playing over the years. And, um, but I, I still like to, to fill the room w with the sound, 
And I yeah. think that's that's the key. Once once and to your point, you know, being able to uh, be in that space and 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 get the effects of of the inner sight and uh, is uh, a testament to the ability to release, uh, mm. to surrender and relax, and and allow that um, that experience to emerge, you know, out of out of a gong ceremony. I like that. I, I'm getting into uh, using ceremony to describe a lot of things. You know, it could be a session, a yoga session, could be like a yoga ceremony yeah, or Kirtan, same thing. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> There's this other thing that comes up, um, which I'm curious what your thoughts are on, which is, you know, when you do a good hour class and have a good Shavasana, good, you know, gong, um, there's this effect that I've been heard to refer to as bright eyes. Um, what, mm. what, what would you say that bright eyes is and have you experienced that? Yeah. You know, I think that comes from, um, <clears throat> this, the people that, that coined the term, you know, eyes are the window of the soul, you know, coming from the same, same space and the same experience that, <clears throat> That it was it's interesting. We were, we were doing a class yesterday with you know you have your hands like this and and uh, you have the space between the hands is is the um, like the presence of soul or spirit, mm -hmm. and then you've got positive function of the mind here and negative function of the mind here joined in the neut neutral function, but mm -hmm. the idea is that the the awareness exists on the outside edge of the hands. And in order for the soul in the inside of the hands to get to the identity, identifying mind has to go through the body, the nervous system, and the positive, negative, and neutral minds. And the more cluttered those are with uh, memories and traumas and old experience, the, that light of the soul doesn't get to come through. But when, you, when you're engaging in asana, that, that helps to move energy through the nervous system and clear uh, psychic weight out of the body and tension and resistance out of the body, then that's that space between the identifying um, awareness and the inner soul becomes clearer. And that'll become reflected, you know, within the eyes. And, and whether it's... Um, you know, just like cosmic energy flowing through or, or you know, just less, well, the less tension, less resistance, the more, the more electricity can flow. You know, so you're, th that's the reason, you know, you rub your hands together is to, uh, and breathe into it is to upscale, to upcharge the, the voltage of your electrical system and also to, uh, align the, the magnetic quality of it. And so once you do that, you build up voltage and and align the magnetism then with with asana, mantra, pranayam, gong, and relaxation. You know, relaxation is the recalibration of the body. And, it, you know, if we're going through that whole process and we don't take time to recalibrate, then it's like... Um, you lose something. You, you don't walk away with the total package. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, eating a meal and then walking across the street and eating another meal. <laughs> you, know, you don't get to digest the first one and take full advantage of it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, uh, yeah, that, that whole process of uh, becoming bright and, mm-hmm. and the eyes probably reflect that first. Mm, I love that. Very mm. cool. Only a couple more questions here, but uh, one of them is about the concept of shunya. Um, mm. So it's another kind of effect of doing this yoga is entering some type of zero state. I was curious what you would say, you know, shunya is and, and what is, and how, how do you know that you're maybe finding yourself there? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's that, that space of neutral mind. <clears throat> and like we were talking about with, with this, the projective mind and the protective mind are two functions of mind that are held within neutrality of the neutral mind that says, okay, I can hold two polarities. It's like, talk to anyone today, and, and if you broaden your scope of conversation, eventually you'll find s- some uh, contradiction of what you're saying, the other person will go, mm, no, no, that that's not right. I don't believe that, which just means that that the belief system or the, or the consciousness is saying, this is okay, this is not. Mm-hmm. But in the space of shunya, uh, that, that the yogi um, opens up to is allowing both polarities to coexist without resistance and without judgment in the same space. And... In that case, it's like an algebraic equation. This side of the equal sign can sit with this side of the equal sign, even though they look different and, mm-hmm. and they're operating maybe in a little different uh, format. When you bring them together, this equals that. And, they, when, and when they're in that equality, they, they both can thrive uh, as they are. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. so when that's the thing about mantra. You say a mantra and... and um, it has, uh, let's say, a, a, a quality that raises the vibration. And what that will do, applied to the body, it will find a contradiction to that, the polarity of this vibration in the body. And so when the yogi gets into that space of shunya or the zero-point field, both of these can come together and equalize each other <clears throat> so that you find that that uh, what you might resist before, you can relax around and just allow yourself to experience it. <clears throat> and yeah. a lot, I mean, at the beginning of sessions, that's, m- my intention is to get everybody to s- some experience of shunya, mm-hmm. just starting with relaxing the body and then moving breath in, and then uh, relaxing the mind. Just say, okay, thought will come. It's not, it's not you. Um, <clears throat> ah, there is somebody, there, there, there are several authors that, that promote this zero-point field. Uh, Liz Taggart? Lisa. Oh, I forget. Taggart is her last name, and 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 is like she explains really well this zero point field that says, okay, just take both ends of the seesaw and bring them into that that fulcrum space and let them balance out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and yeah, it's 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 a simple practice that 
that um, allows you to just say everything's okay. If I can, if I can relax my body and relax my mind, uh, yeah, it's that, that zero point field that allows us to feel everything. You know, it's like part of the process of yoga is to consciously acknowledge what we're holding and how what we believe, how we think, and say, "Okay, I'm doing that for a reason. What's the reason?" Mm-hmm. And um, and the the deeper we can get into shunya, the more uh, of the the various aspects of ourselves can come into our conscious experience, so that the subconscious and unconscious can come into the conscious mind. And then you get to the question of, okay, is the mind going to solve my problems, or as uh, Guru saints and yogis would say that the divine solves the problems. Like Ong and Guru Dev are responsible for taking care of your whole practice. If you try to figure it out by your own linear mind, um, you 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 know it's it's like if a two year old is in charge of a room, your the room is going to be full of two year old stuff. <laughs> and if the if the yogis engaged in the um, identifying mind, then the room is full of those personality based experiences. And so Shunya is getting beyond that. Mm. It's getting into that space, uh, also known as intuitive poise, coming from intuition rather than linear logic, and then poise enough to you just let things be. And it's kind of like, you know, if we were to get into an argument and one of us were just to stop talking and listen, then the other the other person would eventually go, I, I don't know what I'm arguing about anymore. You know what I mean? And <laughs> right. so in that in that space of shunya, the, the body gets to be what it is and realize that, hey, it's really okay. And the mind will come to the same conclusion just as we do with one another. Yeah. So shunya is that listening mind. Mm, yeah i love that yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i was just about to bring up that same example and say you know would it be fair to say you know when two people are in conflict that finding the shunia space is is where you're not arguing an opposing side anymore you're just kind of uh allowing what is happening to happen and it naturally it kind of subsides in a way mm-hmm. yeah yeah, you know, it's it's like in, in this this mystical Christ that's that's coming into awareness now, just saying, yeah, all that stuff, all 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 the conflict, just hand it over to divine consciousness. Mm-hmm. You just hand it over to life and life being universal mind present within all the fabric of the cosmos. If divine mind can't take care of it, nobody can, right? Yeah. And so it's like you just go not my problem i'm giving it over to you and 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 most of the time that that quality of surrender comes within the dark night of the soul where we're just at our wits end and we just have to give up otherwise you know mm-hmm. we we think we're going to explode or yeah. disappear yeah for sure well that actually leads perfectly into my last question that i've written here which is um I'm sure, you know, you've experienced people coming to this path, uh, suffering with whether it's depression or anxiety or trauma, these types of things. I was just wondering what, 
advice you might have for someone who is, you know, in a dark night of the soul or someone that is struggling with a depression, um, you know, how they could maybe get out of it without uh, the help of maybe pharmaceuticals or even things like psychedelics, you know, in certain cases, certain medicines like an ayahuasca experience might be in the cards, but for some people it's just not, they're just not going to have a good time with them. They're just not Mm -hmm. in the group of people that are going to get anything out of those experiences. So how would, you know, you kind of recommend someone try to change something to get out of a, a depression? Um, Well, first is to realize it happening, you know, like in a really quick timeline may or may not not be realistic. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a a lot of investigation and and uh, experimentation with microdosing of of plant medicines to maybe not get enough to to yank you out of your depression, but enough to ease the tension of the body and the the cyclical uh, downward spiral of the mind mm-hmm. to to allow those to just kind of recede a little bit um, and and notice oneself uh, as awareness as opposed to. Uh, a body, mind, and occupation kind of matrix. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we we all want to. I I can't say that. the The message is that we should be able to thrive within this structure. If you don't thrive within the structure uh, that we're operating here in this country, then something is wrong. Either God doesn't love you, or you know, you're just not built for this. And I'm sorry, my opinion is none of us are built for this long term. Mm-hmm. You know, we're operating in a, in a structure that uh, is not sustainable. And you look at it, you know, in order for the economy to thrive, there has to be constant growth, constant growth. Right. And um, and so the idea for, uh, to, for depression, well, yogically, it's... Um, paying attention to the breath, finding a sacred sound, and just recreate it in a constant rhythm. Um, to me, you know, you I, I would think within 3 to 11 minutes, you, there should be some, some experience uh, to contradict the, the depression. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like that. There's a vahiguru meditation, you know, vahiguru, uh, vahiguru, 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 vahigio. When you create it in a certain rhythm, that pattern of sounds, and let the breath flow in between the repetition of those sounds, it it acts on the frontal lobe of the brain. Um, it triggers the pituitary, the pineal, and the hypothalamus to actually govern the um, the effect of the brain to be able to control neural pathways that are the the blueprint of perception and habits, and and allow yourself a, a little bit of wiggle room. 
like depression is like being so confined that there's no room to move at all. And that's not it. You know, um, uh, we will get depressed, go crazy and, and maybe even die if, if we're confined, uh, with a significant amount of weight for an extended period of time. So the idea of, of yoga to move, idea of pranayama to move breath, and the idea of the technology of mantra to move the, the little bit of the body and the, and the rib cage and the diaphragm to create sound that vibrates the body, that moves the breath in a certain pattern, the, and and the gaze of the eyes, either down tip of the nose or up at the brow point, will engage the endocrine system to significantly change the chemistry of the body. Whereas um, uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a doctor may prescribe a certain drug to get the body to a certain chemical chemistry, mm -hmm. the, the brain already knows how to do that within the, um, the practice of breath and meditation and as a yogi i can't prove it yet but my the information i get is everything that we can do with technology we can do without technology mm -hmm. given time space and and the bandwidth to do it you know it's like when the pandemic first hit and everything stopped all around the globe mm -hmm. it's like cities that were full of pollution began to clear you know yeah, and and true. and people's tension uh even though it was exacerbated end game by uh, losing income you know they had a little bit of space you know and they began to get out of the hypnotic routine of everyday business i mean how many people are going back to the office now because right. they had the chance to move beyond it and yeah. so um yeah i think i think depression is is um something that that can be solved mm -hmm. and it can be solved in a lot of ways and like you know there there's a conference in the first weekend of february uh, on the UT campus, um, Sunshine Grace or Sanya Daniels is putting together, um, I forget the name of it now, Love is part of it, but it's just uh, having storytellers coming in and talking about consciousness and the effects of uh, plant medicine and meditation, you know, to, to come into a space of realizing who we are. So it's coming more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what that made me think of is that, you know, the body is the most advanced computer on the face of the earth. And the yogis are the hackers. <laughs> so it's like they can hack the body to overcome the, the virus, right? You know, it's funny. Yes. Funny little yeah. metaphor there. Yeah. And, and all you have to do is reboot, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah apply apply a little hack here and there reboot recalibrate and see what happens and then do it again yeah. you know and uh yeah i like that yeah and certainly the more you do it the the more you're you're able to perceive reality in a way that is other than your depression so as you get the information that you can see the world a new way it validates and 
enables you to continue down more and more of doing that because it's almost just like depression is almost like an addiction or habitual way of thinking or being. And Mm -hmm. we don't know that there's a program we can run, so to speak, outside of it. And when we get into yoga, you know, meditation, mantra, um, all all the other amazing wellness practices out there, um, you know, there's even like Qigong, Tai Chi, like martial arts, there's all kinds of things that can just get you outside of, you know, that, that mental place we can get stuck. Um, you see that it's possible and like, wow, I feel better. Maybe I should do more of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, um, yeah, sprouts within me the 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 concept that uh, consciousness is reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like where where we hold our consciousness actually presents itself to us as reality. I can't convince you that reality is different than what you're taking in. I can say it and. Um, unless we have a chance to experience it, you know, you're going to say, well, I'm sorry, no, reality is what I'm seeing right now. And I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it, I'm tasting it, I'm smelling it. And, and so to, to change the reality, we change consciousness. And to know what our consciousness is, we look at reality. And we say, how, you know, it's like Dr. Phil, how's it working for you? Is it, <laughs> is it bringing you a life that you love to live? And, and for a lot of us in different areas of, of what we're doing every day, it, uh, we're not creating a life that we love to live all the time, you know. And so um, the message outside is, well, this is reality, dude. You get with the program or uh, you get left behind. But the, the yogi is far from being left behind or in the vanguard, you know. So, uh, uh yeah, for, for us all just to go, okay, w- what do I believe in? And am I living that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's all. Yeah. Love that. Well, I think that was a great conversation. Um, I really appreciate you coming on here, Sir Bahadur. Where can people connect with you um, should they want to learn more and find your offerings? Um, well, uh, my website is siribahadur.com. So it's S-I-R-I-B-A-H-A-D-U-R dot com. And um, my schedule and events are on there. Um, I teach at Flow Yoga uh, Mondays at noon. I teach at Shunya Yoga Collective 10 o'clock on Mondays, 10 o'clock in the morning, and 6 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. And, um, yeah, all the events... Are, are on the website and there's some i don't know for me exciting stuff you know coming up and it and it and it it's pretty much just sharing and uh investigating together you know it's like <clears throat> i was i was listening to a, a talk by ramdas baba ramdas and um you know he was saying yeah uh, his his um, conversation with his his guru was, wow man, you know I'm so impure. I don't I don't know how I can possibly, you know, talk to people and teach people without messing them up, you know. And then you know his guru would say, oh, you know, just get out there and do it. And and you know he was described as uh, by some Zen master at, um, 
as a uh, I don't know dis, uh, a lost charlatan moving in the wrong direction, you know. And and uh, sometimes uh, I feel like that, you know. It's like we're, we're all moving on this path. Anybody that's here in in, in this realm in, in this life has something to work on. Uh, but but the idea is that as, as we work on it together, we'll teach each other. I, I learn from the, the people that come to sessions that, that we're working or workshops that, that we're sharing stuff. And so, um, yeah, and I just invite people to come and, you know, we're investigating all the stuff we're talking about mm-hmm. and um, just, just to find that, uh, that, that, little portion of illumination that comes every once in a while, whether it's the, the end of a gong relaxation or, or in the middle of a meditation, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me yeah. and, uh, providing such a, uh, a, an, um, a catalyst, you know, the, a catalytic experience and, and, uh, your questions and, and um hospitality to do this i appreciate it absolutely brother well before we sign off i'd love to just i love that image that came up my mind there about how when we come together in the yoga uh space that even the teachers are healing through this all it's not just you know it's a different Mm -hmm. way to see it because in the past in the 70s and the 80s i feel like the teachers were like perceived as these perfect beings that just had nothing wrong and just they knew it all and they were perfectly enlightened and had all the answers and i think you know we're finding in the modern era that that you know maybe have been a little bit of an illusion and and that uh we're all healing together and i think it's just a humbling way to look at it that you don't have to be this perfect divine being to teach yoga um we're we learn from our students even it's it's a back and forth street you know what i mean so yes i love that for sure for sure well thank you everyone for listening i appreciate all of your time today and uh, we'll see you on the next episode thank you once again siri for being here today all right thank you matt